Hello, hockey fans. Welcome to another episode of the Vegas Hockey Podcast. I'm Mark Warner, along with Chris Lisa out on Long Island. Uh, we got a good show. It's good to be back. We had a couple weeks off. Chris is still struggling through a little a little illness. He's getting over. Um, had some work issues to take care of the week before that, but we are back. <clears throat> we got perfect timing on our guest today, Mark Scheig. He covers the Columbus Blue Jackets for thehockeywriters.com. So we're going to get into the Matt Shane trade, what that means for the franchise, their decision. Uh, are they done? Can they make a run? All those good things. We're going to look at the Golden Knights, their recent slumping ways. Um, can they get out of it? What's causing it? Um, the deadline is, is approaching. So what we think they might end up with, what they should do, what they might do, all those good things. So stay tuned. We'll be right back. All right, well, that's not going to work. I guess we'll just run right into it. Chris, Chris, good day to you, sir. How are we doing over there? I, I, I'm i getting better. I'm kind of like the Knights right now, although I, I feel like I'm turning the corner. I don't know if the Knights can say that, but slumping a bit. But we're uh, – so if I sound a little nasally, sorry, folks. Yeah, in terms of, you know, Vegas, another tough loss last night, 3-9-1 and one in uh, the last 13 you brought up this point a couple of months ago. Their record against good teams, um, uh, not so good. Uh, they had a nice win last week. A really, I thought a win that was going to get them turned around, beating Nashville. Sure. I believe it was five-one at home. Yes, sir. And then I don't want to say lay an egg, but then losing Colorado three-nothing, and then uh, a couple more losses, a shootout loss this week get to Boston, and and then last night to Winnipeg. Not that there's any shame in losing to those teams, but. Uh, you know, I mean, one thing's for sure. They're going to be the three seed. Um, I think so. They're not catching center. So, and I will right. say this. It's a big week coming up. Um, they have Dallas and Florida at home and then at Anaheim. You know, if they continue their slumping ways, I know the rest of the division is nothing to write home about. But if you open the door for someone to get hot, uh, be it Arizona or Vancouver, uh, right now, I think they have a seven-point lead over Arizona, uh, and I think Arizona has a game or two in hand. I'm just saying, if you open the door, you know, they could find themselves in a situation of, uh, um, you know, fighting for that third spot. I mean, they're only seven games above 500, so, they, you know, they have an okay record. I mean, uh, nothing great. So there is definitely causes for concern this year. It's been a struggle. Yeah, it has. And and I will say this, I don't think that I mean if you look at the standings, the Arizona does have two games in hand, Vancouver has two games in hand. But if we just yeah. go with round numbers, uh right now the Vegas Golden Knights have 69 points. If they win and I'm going to round to 20 games, they have 63 played, but uh 20 is easier math to do. So, if they win right. 10 of their last 19 games, they'll be at 89 points. Now with Vancouver Let's go Arizona first. With Arizona, they have 61 games, so they have 21 games, 21 games yep. left to play. They need to win 15 out of those 21 to get to 90 points. So we we talked about the Vegas. What what do you say? They're three and nine in their last 12. Uh, Arizona three, nine and one in the last 13. 12. Okay, so Arizona's four and eight in their last 12. Uh, so for a I think, four and eighteen, I, I, I think they lost. They lost six in a row, and then I yeah. think since then they're five and two. So I for, for wrong, a team but... to 
for for a team to go like from four and eight to winning fifteen out of twenty, um, and that just catches the Knights by one point if they play five hundred hockey the rest of the way. And I know they're only well, seven games back the right go now. Ten and nine. Yeah, uh, assuming I I I think it's more likely that the Knights win half their re- remaining games than it is for Arizona to go fifteen and twenty down the stretch. Yeah, no, I agree, but it, it, you, know, you know what I mean. It's, it's something to think about if if they think about it and it pushes them a little bit, um, and puts a sense of urgency in their game. Then I, I like I like the the fact that something might be pressing down on them because the the wild card would not be a guarantee at that point. And we'll get into our wild card no. picks at the in the OT segment. But the wild card teams are now starting to. Uh, pick up a little bit of steam there 65 and 64 points respectively between Dallas and Minnesota and and with the Knights only four points in front of them if if the unthinkable happens and and Arizona and Vancouver go on the the 15 and 16 out of 20 game runs they well, would be catch does. yeah um then the Knights could find themselves behind the the wild card spots at that point so the, it would be nice to see a sense of urgency um, from the guys last night um, is a perfect okay. example. Winnipeg's coming off a seven to one thrashing that they took, and you knew they were going to come in angry, and you knew they were going to come in hot. And the Knights came out flat, even knowing that they give up the first two goals. They battle back, they tie the game at two, and in the in the last minute of the second period, whatever you know, what you 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 never like to give up a goal in the last minute of the period. You can't give up two goals in the last minute of a period. And that's what they did. So then they found themselves, instead of 2-2 at home going to the third, they're down 4-2. And even though though Jonathan Marshall scored eight seconds into the third period to make it 4-3, you're just digging yourself a hole that that you're going into the third period two goals down at home when you're supposed to be the uh, great great home ice advantage. And, look, they've got two home games left in this. And then – if I looked at it right, they've got nine nine games at home and ten on the road. So you know, flashback to February first when they they had this very home friendly schedule the rest of the way. Well, they lost uh, the only game they won at home in this in this homestand was Nashville, the Columbus, Arizona, Toronto, Boston, Winnipeg. They've all come in and beat the Knights. Nashville was a, was a good win. They had Subban in net. Then they went on the road to Colorado, started Subban again, thinking obviously Flurry needs some rest. They lose that game three nothing. But then they were back home for four. They've lost the first two of those. Um, so yeah, when they were on their little seven game win streak, it, it was like warm and fuzzy. But even then, I said well, I'd like to, I we're going to learn a lot more about the Golden Knights in the next two weeks when they started playing the Washingtons and, and, you know, the Islanders who are having a great year. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and we have learned a lot about this Golden Knights team. You know, uh, one thing that jumps out at me is about the season. You know, they started out, they struggled out of the gates and all that. And we, uh, I can't remember when the block of time was. I want to say it was late November, early December when they had that, ridiculous schedule of five games in seven days and yep. they thrived in that and then they kind of springboarded off that and uh for about a two three week period and you thought that they were going to be fine and you know if not challenged for the division definitely challenged for the two seed get home ice in the first round 
And other than that block of time, which was probably about three, four weeks, this season's really been a big struggle. I mean, anyone yeah, who slices. Yeah, it, yeah it, that's a, that's uh, a great point. And, uh, uh, you know, I, I get it. There's a lot of parity in the league. And last year, there was, it's a bit odd because last year it felt like there was very little struggles. And, you know, it leads us into, you know, with the trade deadline on Monday at 3 o'clock Eastern, you know, what George McPhee is going to do. Uh, personally, I don't know how you feel. I think we've talked about this a little bit, but now that we're so close to the trade deadline, the day if this team is going to get going, it has to come from the core that you have. There's, you know, making a big sexy move or two uh, and giving up huge futures to do you think, like, that's going to be the uh, penicillin and if you're going to turn back the clock to how the rest of the team's going to play next year, uh, last year, uh, no. I mean, that, that, regardless of any moves, that has to come from within. And, look, I would like to see the Knights uh, make a move or two to improve their team. More of what kind of the Capitals are doing, kind of on the secondary, secondary level players, if you will. And those kind of guys can come in and really help. I mean, look what Ryan Reeves did for this team last year. He really helped. You know, moves along those lines, a guy like uh, Marcus Johansson, who George McPhee had forever in Washington, a guy like I'd that, like that. Where, you're giving, yep. where you're giving up, let's say, a third-round pick and a, and a secondary prospect. but uh, And they do have three third-round picks, so, you know, they could give, you know, that's, that's fine. But I think if, if, if McPhee were to trade uh, premium future assets, uh, for let alone for a rental, I, I would I would think that would be a bad way to go. Yeah, and I agree. Uh, Dean Lombardi, um, when the the Kings were winning their championships, he would say the team dictated to him what he would do at the deadline. If he saw a team that was was grinding it. And and putting everything out there, and that maybe a piece could put the team over the top. If basically what he said was, um, if they deserve to be improved, I'll improve them. I'm not gonna. And, and Lombardi, we we know he's he made a few mistakes with the Kings, no question about it. <laughs> did a lot of good things too. I did a lot of good things too, and I think that. And I hate to say this, I'm not sure that the Knights are putting it out there in the same fashion that they did every single game last season. I think there's games where, the, I mean, and I'm not, you know, Coach Galan himself said that the team didn't show up on, you know, frequently in the last, let's say, three weeks. He's been disappointed with the effort and the competitive level. If that, you know, that's not going to, in Dean Lombardi's, deserve to go get a, a stone. Or Duchesne's obviously off the market, but um, you know any of the other big name free agents that are out there, or trade trade bait pieces, whatever, um, be it a rental or somebody who still has term on his contract. I don't know if if this team as a whole has shown George McPhee enough to go and mortgage the future and show him that they're capable of another cup run. I think if if there's a move to be made, it's like you said, you you might want to bring in. Well, I mean, what do you think of Nyquist? Uh, that would be a, a piece that you could put on the third line and maybe improve your depth scoring that may not cost you much on the right. roster. Right. Right? You might right. be a, 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 a about a second-round pick and 
and a, and a prospect, and a, and a secondary prospect. Maybe a third, but maybe a second, depending upon, you know, the, I'm sure there will be a number of teams looking at them. Sometimes you get into a little of a mini bidding war in that secondary market. I'll give you one point to consider, too, in terms of this year and last year. We talk about this, you know, keep in mind in terms of, I don't want to say nights off, but, you know, last year was a long season. So you got to wonder how that yeah. impacts uh, a team for the following year. But just look at this, and I'm not trying to say that Pacioretty and Stasny aren't on the level of Neil and Perron, but we just look at that little snapshot, what the Knights got from Neil and Perron last year compared to what they're getting from Pacioretty and Stasny this year is night and day and not for the better. No, I agree, and I thought at the time you might – I mean, we talked about this. I thought out of the two um, – I think combined, you could just say Stastny and and Pacioretty. Just James, James Neal's looked at as a goal scorer. Let's let's just be honest. <coughs> Excuse right. me. I, I I mean I think they're making up for the Neal. The thing that that David Perron brings is a very when when he wants to do it. There were times last last year where coach wasn't very happy with it, but when he wants to do it. He he drives the possession into the offensive zone, and he's very good along the wall, and he's very good at keeping possession in the offensive zone. And I think that was a big key to, like, the whole of the Golden Knights' success last year was that possession game that the second and fourth line brought and gave, gave Gallant the, the, the ability to continue to roll four lines Keep the puck in the offensive zone. Keep possession, and Perron was a big, a big, big part of that. And I said, th- I said when when they didn't sign him, that out of the two, that's the 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 characteristic of either one of their games that was going to be missed the most by this team. And that's not Pacioretty's game. Pacioretty's game is to somehow get into the the center of the ice, uh, high slot area, and he has a wicked quick snapshot release and that's where he needs to be and that's where he needs to have the puck got to him in order to be successful he doesn't he doesn't really take the puck and drive himself into that area he needs to be fed the puck when he's already in that area and that's when Pacioretty's most successful and I think that's a, a lot of the problem is the the possession game that the Golden Knights had last year where they were four lines cruising offensive zone time was easily 65 to 70 percent in their favor every single game and that that and that takes that takes will that takes uh, a willingness to go into the corners and take the hit to keep the play alive and I don't know if I'm seeing that every night night in night out on a very consistent basis from like you said the common staff is willing to do anything Um, but just as a team as a whole I think they're more apt to maybe head back out of the zone, get back on defense, whatever, than they are willing to stick their nose in there and grind down into the corner and take that hit that they were taking last year in order to keep an offensive zone alive. And and I think that's a lot of the problem. And I don't know, I don't think one piece that you could pick up on the trade market is going to fix that kind of a problem. And I think I think you're exactly right, Chris. I think it has to come from within the group, and I think that that right now that's not happening. Well, for me to wrap up on the Knights before we jump around the league is 
the next two weeks, can they solidify their game, put together a good record, make sure that they improve that separation so there's no concerns down the stretch, that they get that automatic third spot? Or is there going to be continuing to struggle and possibly opening the door? So that's what I'm looking at the next couple weeks from from Vegas. Uh, uh, In terms of jumping, uh, let's go around the league. You know, right now we've had a couple. We had a couple small trades, and before we jump into our thoughts before having Mark Scheig on about Columbus, what they're doing. You know, basically between now and Monday, three o'clock deadline, put together a little mini checklist. Uh, obviously, Mark Stone's the gem that is left. Uh, Ottawa apparently wants two first-round picks and two prospects. Now, two prospects could mean two elite prospects, or it could mean two good prospects. Not all prospects are the same. You know, Florida's listening on Hoffman. Detroit's going to move Nyquist. One would think Philly's going to move Simmons. The Rangers are going to move Hayes and Zuccarello. The Devils are going to move Johansson. And to me, to me, the wild card team to watch is the Minnesota Wild. They they are currently in the second wild card spot. Uh, only one point behind Dallas, although they've played more games than almost everyone else uh, in that we- in the West. And Eric Stoll's a free agent. This is a team that, at best, they make the playoffs and then and then they lose in the first round to, you know, Calgary or Nashville, or Winnipeg in five games. So that GM with the move with Coyle for a young player in Donato said shows to me he's looking at the forest, not the trees. So. I think so, even though it would hurt their chances, and you know what? It might be for the better, this sounds crazy to say, that they don't make the playoffs and get a chance at the, the ping-pong balls and get a, and get a, the 12th pick in first, instead of the 20th pick or what, whatever. And, you know, maybe they listen on to Jason Zucker, who's not having a great year. So, to me, if there's a team that's, you know, all these other things I think are very much in play, but if there's a team to me that's kind of the wild card of this trade deadline, uh, I would say it's the Minnesota Wild. But uh, I don't know if you have any thoughts on that. And uh, and then if you want to jump in and what you thought of the uh, what Columbus looks like, uh, Duchesne, the move for Duchesne, and unless they get a godfather offer, uh, going all in with Duchesne and Perrin. I, I agree with you on Minnesota. It's, it's tough. And we saw this happen in St. Louis where um, they – they traded away Stastny at the deadline, and then they what they they you know the team the team wasn't done, and they went on and they St. Louis almost ended up making the playoffs anyway. But it, it's tough if your management and your fan base obviously, um, if you end up sellers at a trade deadline when you're actually holding down a, a wild card spot. Um, yeah, but are they holding down? A, but aren't they holding down a wild card spot by default? I mean, they have sixty-four points <laughs> in sixty-two games. You know what I mean? But it's there. They have six, sixty-four points in sixty-two games. Is basically, you know, you're a five, you're a point a game team. Yeah. No, I agree. But I don't know how much this comes into it. Probably more than you or I think. Um, right. Just to be able to get into the playoffs and have a, you know, possibly three extra home games of revenue. Right. Um, sure. That's got to be, especially, you know. Well, I'm not, Min- yeah. I'm, I'm not saying Min- they're, 
value. I'm not saying if they if the right deals aren't there, he won't do it. But if he can, if there's yeah. good value to be had, I think I I wouldn't be surprised if uh, the GM who's you know took over in July is would be open for business. I'm I, I'm sure he's listening. I mean I'm sure he's answering his phone to see what's there. But um, no, you, you, by default is probably a real good way to put put it. Um, so are you, you think are of you, the um, Go ahead. I'm sorry. I, I just wanted to see real quick. The Rangers have been holding out uh, Zuccarello, Hayes, um, obviously putting them on the market. Ottawa's been holding out, um, obviously, Dzingel, Stone, and, right. and Duchesne out of their lineups to protect them from being injured, obviously, being on the market. In general, what do you think of that as a practice? Um, the, yeah, I think it's smart. I mean, when when you're this close to the deadline, you're talking about a game or two. You, you know, the last thing you want is someone – I mean, the Rangers did play Zuccarello the other night, and they took a pretty good hit. It wound up being okay. But the last thing you want, when you know you have someone, you're going to trade and then have them get injured and then just totally kill that um, that selling asset. So, I mean, you know, it's not like the teams are doing this on January 15th. They're doing it, you know, yeah. less than a week away. So, I – so you're talking about a game or two at that. So I, 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 I totally understand that. And then I wanted, I wanted, I think the Rangers too, uh, maybe not the wild card as we don't know what they're going to do, but as they continue to sell off their pieces, um, what do you think of, of how that rebuild is being handled? Uh, being in New York as you are, I know you know more about what's going on with that than I do. I, I know you got to take off your uh, aisle sunglasses for a minute. Do you think? Do you think they're going about their rebuild in the right way? It's just their most marketable pieces. I mean, I for me, Len, and I'll let you answer in just a sec. I think Hayes would be a, a kind of player. He's young. Um, you still have cost certainty there, I believe, um, that you might want to keep on the roster. Is it? I'm not sure I understand completely what the Rangers are, are doing. They've gotten rid of all their vets. They had some good pieces come back in, from Tampa and, and a couple other deals they've made. But is are they in the too far mode? Are they in the make a move now just to make a move mode? Or what do you think about what the Rangers are doing? Yeah, I'm not – look, I get it from a philosophy standpoint what they're doing, and it's probably a wise thing to do. But I don't. It feels like that they're really not sold on almost. Like they, I keep, I used to say like, who's going to be on the bus? Who's the guys that will right. be on the bus when we move forward? I mean, clearly Zibanejad, who's on a, who's on a, I guess a five-year deal or a six-year deal a year or two ago. Yeah. It, clearly, his game this year has shown that. But even Absolutely. Chris Kreider, who's appeared in trade rumors this year, who's had a terrific season. Like you would think that's a guy they would lock up because he's only about twenty-six or so. Um, some of their other pieces really haven't come forward. I mean, they have a couple of the kids uh, that they're excited about that they've drafted recently um, have come up. But it, I don't get a good sense of, you know, these are our guys. And um, to me, the guy was cast with A's when last July they gave him a one-year deal. They basically were setting it up for him to be traded. <coughs> Excuse me. Because um, yes. to me, when you do that, well, either the guy's going to have a really good year and they should put himself in a prime position for a big contract, which you really didn't have the stomach for to even negotiate with him last summer. So you're going to be like, well, that's a small sample. That's not, you know, we didn't see enough of this. And you're going to probably trade him for future assets. 
or he was going to be mediocre or less than that, and you're going to move on. So, um, you know, the die was kind of – and Zuccarello is, what, 30-31? I mean, theoretically, right. they could re-sign him on July 1 uh, and get him back and, you know, trade him for a second-round pick and a prospect kind of thing. But they need to um, – I, I, I think the rebuild, you know – I, I think the pieces that they're excited about to read, there's not a lot of them playing at Madison Square Garden right now is what is the best way I could probably answer that. No, I agree, and I think you said it better than I did when you said that you don't really have a sense of who their guys are, right? You don't you don't really know. Like no one, no one in the front office has come out and said, these are our untouchables, this is who we're building around. Um, right? I mean, that's, that's the sense I get out of the Rangers is that they're not. Uh, sure what, who who their guys the, are. The, the kid, uh, yeah, the kid, the kid center, um, Philip uh, Chattel. I mean, you know, it's a couple, but not like they signed Brady Shea to a, to a six year deal in the last year, year and a half. He's really taken a big step backwards. BC yeah. never, you know, has really developed into the player that they hoped to. I mean, so this, I, I don't think it's like I said. When you think of the Rangers long term, <coughs> excuse me. I think in the Rangers long term and what the pieces there I, I think it's the kids that in the pipeline and the draft picks. So I think there's still a ways away for them uh before even being um you know, they they found ways to to go before being a contender. But what do you think uh we got five minutes, would you give your take on uh what Columbus is doing? <laughs> Well, just in a nutshell real quick, I wanted to ask you about the Kings as well, but um Okay. We we said on the show that uh and all that being said about the Rangers, they're up 3 nothing. They've been in a penalty-filled first first period right now where there's fights and and 13 penalty minutes going both ways and and they're showing some scrap in New York. That be all that being said. But but uh we said back uh last time we talked to Shag that it was going to be you know, an in-house decision on whether they thought they were good enough to make a run, and that would justify keeping Panarin and Bobrovsky. And, you know, the Duchesne trade tells me that they've made that decision, that they think that by adding a piece like that, um, you know, and then they may not be done. We're going to talk to Mark Scheig in a few minutes. Um, they've made their decision. They're they put it all in. And obviously, I mean – Maybe if someone blew their doors down for Panarin right now, they might move him. But I, I think that just that that you know, I think Panarin and Bobrovsky are off the market. They're going to ride or die with with uh, those two guys, and they're going to see how far they can get. Um, I don't agree <laughs> that this could be a year for Columbus to win the Stanley Cup. And I, I, I guess I've made that pretty clear that they had. I I thought that no matter what that. Um, you know what? What happens if you keep Panarin and Bobrovsky and you don't get out of the first round yet again, and then you lose those two pieces for nothing? Um, that's a hard pill to swallow. And you know they've made the move. They've they've. And I want to find out more about the prospects that were included from from Mark because he's dialed into the franchise, and that's going to be one of the first things I ask him is well, who's who who is the chipper there that went the other way, and then possibly. I got a little tidbit on that. Uh, I, I was texting with Russ Cohen of Sportsology, a good friend right. of the show. You can find our shows there. They get his feeling, and he thought that Ottawa got a very 
solid return for Duchesne. Well, that sure. was his quote. For a for a rental basically, I think. <laughs> and a possible second second round or first round pick in twenty twenty if Duchesne yeah. decides to, to stay. Um and and I mean, you know, Dor- Dorian's had quite an issue in Ottawa, but uh even you know, going back to the Matt Duchesne deal, um I think he probably maximized the, the return out of what was really a bad situation um, to to pull off the, a guaranteed first-round pick, uh, lottery-protected, albeit, um, and then maybe maybe a second first-round pick, and then two, you know, not the best Good pieces prospect. in the pipeline, but let's say let's say you know B plus prospects maybe Marco yep. Marco Phillips on that in just a minute. That's not that's not a bad price for a rental. So I don't I don't really this is what I'll this is what I'll say about Columbus in my mind. I know we'll get strike any minute. They're either gonna this decision or what they do about going all in. They're either gonna look like geniuses when the dust smoke uh, when the dust smoke when the dust settles. They're either gonna look like geniuses and they're gonna go on at least a huge playoff spring run. Or they're gonna look like idiots. To me, that's Hero what's gonna happen. Yeah, here were the goat situation there for sure for Kekalainen. Now let's see what the hockey writers own the Mark Scheid <laughs> thinks about. I just want to get into the first mark with um, just the trade itself. Does that seem like an overpayment for for a possible rental? Does it seem like that feels about right? Um, what do you think of just the deal and not the larger ramifications of what that signals to the Blue Jackets' intentions here the rest of the way? Well, boys, it's the going rate. Um, Any time that um, you see a trade like this, it's a first-round pick, and it's usually one or two prospects. So it doesn't surprise me. Um, seeing a conditional pick involved if Duchesne resigns doesn't surprise me. That seems like that that's the going rate for the player of Matt Duchesne's type. Um, and so nothing about that surprises me at all. So so fair deal. Um now I wanted one of the things I wanted to get to is, and I know that you're in in with the the Blue Jackets there, the the two prospects going the other way. Most of the you know hockey verse doesn't know so much about the Blue Jackets farm system, so maybe break down the two prospects going the other way and who who really made the deal happen. Mm. I would have to think that Ottawa valued the first round pick honestly. Um, More. Most of all, especially possibly getting two of them, you know, knowing that they're going to have to give their pick to Colorado and they're currently last in the league that Ottawa is. So you're not going to win getting the first round pick back, but they certainly value that. So the fact that they're going to have a pick either in 2019 or possibly 2020 or possibly both, depending if Duchesne resigns or not, I think that was the big thing for them was to recoup that. But in terms of the, the two players, um, I would think that Vitaly Abramov was somebody that um, Columbus was willing to part with knowing what the price was, but also Ottawa valued. Ottawa, obviously rebuilding, they need to get offense. They need to get any and all forms of offense, and Abramov is pure offense. Um, the, the, The issue with him is he's an undersized player. He's still trying to get used to the pro game. So defense is still coming along with him a little bit, but you give him some open space, you give him time, He's one of the more creative players that you're going to find, and offensive upside is elite. So if he actually does reach that upside, it's a wonderful play for Ottawa. And then Jonathan Davidson, somebody that 
a lot of people in Columbus felt that he could make the Blue Jackets right off the bat um, and end up going back to Sweden, actually having a little bit of a down year. He started generating some buzz last year with his year in Sweden, but he's taken a little bit of a step back, or at least that's what most people believe, but still has um, some upside as to possibly being a bottom six center in the NHL. So if everything works out for Ottawa, um, it's a pretty good haul to get one, maybe two first-round picks. And if one of those two players pans out, um, absolutely, they did what they could given the circumstances. Yeah, I think it's a pretty good deal as far as, as, as the what Ottawa gets out of it, for sure. They they get uh, nothing that's going to cost them any money, first of all, <laughs> which seems to be right. one of their big issues. And uh, <laughs> and then they get the, the first-round pick probably next year. We don't see Columbus falling into that first That first-round pick is lottery-protected, so um, we don't right. see them falling to that. And last night's win vaulted them from out of the playoffs into third in the Metropolitan, which – there's still a lot to be settled, but there would be another first-round matchup with Washington waiting if things finish up the way that they do. Um, mm-hmm. So we we said last time we talked, and, and I wasn't sure if you were still on or not, that uh, as far as the Panarin-Bobrovsky issue goes, that the front office was going to have to make the decision if this team, as constituted, was good enough to make a run at least to the conference final, uh, hopefully to the cup final, in order to keep those two players around. And we, by obviously by adding Duchesne, um, they've made that decision that they believe that they have a good enough squad to finally win a first-round playoff series at least. And with the addition of Duchesne, uh, are a strong enough club holding on to Bobrovsky and Panarin to make that kind of a run. And I just want to know what your thoughts are. If you, if you agree that this is that kind of a team or – is it a possibility with uh, the Montreal's, the Pittsburgh's, the Carolinas still nipping at the heels of those wild card spots and that third that third spot in the Metropolitan? That if if this team has a has a chance to go out and miss the playoffs even after deciding to go all in? Hmm. There's a lot to unpack with that question, and it's a wonderful <laughs> question. So I guess yes, sir. Um, the could they miss the playoffs? Absolutely. If you've had a chance to look at the remaining schedule, they absolutely could miss the playoffs. However, that said, um, they're in a very interesting position. If they were going to do this, no matter what they decided to do, they had to address center. They, they just had to because it was a glaring hole. Pierre Luc Dubois is a good is a great player, but he's only 20 years old. And John Tortorella recently said it himself. He's like. You know, we only have one center playing right now, one. You know, and it's mm. quite the indictment to the Alexander Wenbergs of the world and others right. who are just not playing up their level. So they had to go out and get an elite center, and Matt Duchesne fits that. They've been after him for a while. They were able to get the deal done. It it puts a jolt all up, all up and down the four lines of the Columbus Blue Jackets because now you can actually you get some options. You have your top line of Panarin and Duchesne and Atkinson if they choose to go that way, or they can choose to go another way. Um, Here's the other thing, though, that I think is going to happen. I don't think they're done. Um, I think that Columbus is absolutely all in with this move. I think Bobrovsky is going to stay. I think now Panarin is going to stay. I mean, you have a unique opportunity to try to, you know, not only make it to the playoffs, but to win a playoff series and to go deep. 
this is something the fans wanted to see. Now the fans have been sick and tired of these one and out in the playoffs and never and having to hear everybody say, "Oh, you've never won a playoff series." They needed to see management was serious and winning, so that this is the first step. I don't think they're done because if they're all in, they're going to be really all in. It wouldn't surprise me if they try to add another forward, like maybe a Ryan Dezingle. It wouldn't surprise me if they try and bolster the defense. Um, so I, I, I just have a hard time believing that this is the only thing that they're going to do between um, now and the deadline because they're going for it. You know, they, they, they want to show the fans and they want to show the hockey world that they're serious about this and, you know, given the opportunity, this is a unique opportunity for them to finally make a statement and to finally get that monkey off of their back. One more follow-up on that before I bring Chris in, because he's got a lot to go with, too. Um, when you said you think Pavrosky and Panarin are going to stay, you don't mean long-term. You mean for the rest of this season they won't be moved here at the deadline. Is that right? That is correct. I do believe that they both will stay past the Unless somebody like Nashville or Winnipeg um, comes up and completely blows Columbus out of the water with a with an offer for Panarin, I, I do believe that they'd stay past the deadline. And personally, since we're on the topic of those two, I do. Uh, Panarin came out recently and said that he's going to market, and I believe yep. that ultimately that he's going to end up. You know, there's a couple teams: the Rangers, the Islanders, Florida the Kings, the Panthers. Yep. Ultimately, I think the Florida Panthers have a real advantage. Because now you have Bobrovsky, you have Panarin, they have the same agent. They're, yeah. They, I know. I know Panarin loves South Florida absolutely. Just from an overall standpoint, he has a he has a place down there already. So just not saying that it's a hundred percent, but the tea leaves certainly point to you know it's his one and only opportunity to cash in and to pick wherever he wants to go. So he's not doing anything wrong. It's just. You know, we're learning what is important to him. Right now, what's important to him is helping Columbus win when it comes to free agency. You know, we're going to find out you know, what's important to him, and it might be, you know, choosing where he wants to go, and it might end up being the Florida Panthers. Yeah. And then I think Pabrowski, I think with him, I, I don't think he would, would – let me, let me put it this way. I think he'd be fine staying in Columbus. I don't know if Columbus is going to give him the money that it'll take to keep him there. I, I think. Oh, they tried to just, resign him. At, with they tried the, to resign him. Okay. Yeah. Even, even I, I'm not sure of the timing, but recently you know, there've been reports out there that Columbus has in fact been very interested in keeping him and, you know, they're offering what they think is fair and, you know, you know, whatever you want to believe if Bobrovsky is kind of looking down on them for the way he's been treated in the past, for not meeting expectations in the playoffs, you know, whatever the situation might be, um, Columbus certainly wants to keep him. I just, I, I think you're right. I think that um, money could certainly be a factor and, you know, Florida's prepared to, you know, offer nine, $10 million to carry price type money. And you're right. Columbus might not offer that especially if you consider who's in the pipeline on the way. If you consider Elvis Merzlikens, if you consider um, the kid um, in Finland, um, they got they have options. And if it means not having to pay $10 million to get somebody in that, you know, obviously not quite to the level of Bobrovsky and winning a couple of Vezinas, but somebody who can at least fill in and try and go after the role starter, 
And I think that kind of the writing's on the wall there. I would say maybe 1% chance that Bobrovsky ends up back in Columbus after the season. Hey, hey, Mark, it's good to talk to you. So it's hey, a two-pronged question, question for you. Uh, mm-hmm. If I, Maybe you can figure this out for me. Well, this, getting a front-line player like Duchesne, uh, you know, to me, Columbus, let's put Tampa Bay to the side for a second. Everyone else who's a playoff team or playoff contender, both in the Metro and the Atlantic, I would clearly state, in my opinion, Columbus is not an underdog in a playoff series to any of them. Having said that, I don't know if I would call them a favorite either. I see a lot of coin toss series uh, in the Eastern Conference, and that's how I would view Columbus, whoever you match them up with. And then you pair that with Bobrovsky's performances, which there's been a few, which at best I think we could say has been spotty. And this moves to me is, while I get it and it could work out, it almost feels like I ho- I'm hoping this works out. Uh, using, like, uh, from an analytical perspective, um, it seems very, very risky for what Columbus is doing. Am I wrong? Hmm. It's risky. There's no, there's no question about that. You have to consider that. Yeah, I mean, like you said, if we ignore the Tampa Bay Lightning for a minute, and you look at the different teams, the contenders that are out there. I mean, if you're going to ask me who is a favorite, I mean, if we we can go down the list, I think that at least at this point in time, you know, subject to change. I think Boston is a slight favorite in a series heads up. I think Toronto is a slight favorite in a series heads up. Um, I mean, if we're looking at teams like maybe Montreal, that that's a little more even. I think I'd even lean toward Columbus slightly in that mm-hmm. sort of a series. Coming over on the other side, um, they still have their problems with the Pittsburgh Penguins because they, they can't seem to stop their offense whatsoever. I'd still put the Penguins ahead of them, even though they're having their struggles right now. And Washington, as we all saw last year, was a very even series until the Washington Capitals won in double overtime and came back and didn't lose again. And I would give a very slight lean to Washington only because Braden Holtby is established and we know what we're getting from him and we don't quite know what we're getting from Sergei Bobrovsky yet. So end of the day, I totally see the point that you're coming at here. I mean, I think management looked at this and said, well, we have to be one or the other. We can't kind of go in the middle with this and, Mm -hmm. you know, acquire a couple middling prospects here. I mean, we're either going to sell or we're going to go for it all. And, you know, the condition of the Eastern Conference right now, it's very possible, depending on how everything works out, they might get a series with the New York Islanders. And that would be a heck of a first-round series and very evenly matched up. Um yeah, who knows? But you know, they're they're telling their fan, here's the thing. They're telling their fan base, look, we're, we want to show you how much we care about winning, and th- this is it. You know, we're, we have a very unique opportunity here with Duchesne now in the fold, and we have Panarin and Bobrovsky and Seth Jones on the back end, and Cam Atkinson having a career on his way to another career season. You know, they have pieces. The, the question is, can they put it all together? Can they solidify everything? And can they? And if it is Bobrovsky that they do go into the playoffs with, you know, can he figure it out? He's never allowed less than three goals in any playoff start in his career to date. I mean, that is amazing. 
for somebody that has Ouch. two dozen of trophies. Yeah. So he, ultimately Columbus is going to go where the goaltending and the defense allow them to go because they certainly have offense. They certainly have the depth there, but they have to solidify the back. And they got to figure things out at home too. They're a better road team right now. They have a very important five-game homestand coming up starting here in a couple hours against San Jose. If they're going to do something, they got to figure out home ice. And, you know, preferably they want to try to win the Metro, you know, get home ice advantage, see what you can do with it. And then if you run to Tampa or somebody later in the playoffs, you know, so be it, see where it goes. But I like what they're doing. It's sending a good message to fans. I think fans are excited. I think Duchesne is excited. Give it a shot, see what happens. And, and I even wrote today, even if it doesn't work out, even if doomsday happens, the Blue Jackets have good pieces. They have a good core already, and they have great prospects still in the system, even despite the trade that they just made. So they're still in a very strong position um, organizationally that I think that even if they lose everybody, the risk is still worth it, in my opinion, given their need to get to the playoffs, win in the playoffs, and get deep in the playoffs. Before I ask you and then hand you a little more, finish up with you about uh, getting some blue, maybe getting a blue line help, where that's going to come from. Just a, uh, uh, a point you brought up in terms of the tough schedule for everyone out there. Uh, you know, the, the, uh, Columbus has 11, 22 games left, 11 at home, 11 on the road, so down the middle. They go to they still have to do the Western Canada trip for three games, so the Calgary, Edmonton, Vancouver, and then the, as the Islanders can currently tell you, not an easy trip. Believe it or not, they still play the Penguins and the Bruins three more times each. They play mm-hmm. the Islanders two more times. They uh, they got San Jose today. They still have to play. They have them one more time. They have Nashville and Winnipeg one more time. And of their remaining 22 games, 12 of them are in back-to-back situations. So they have six back-to-backs. Just to use as a comparison, I can tell you this from covering the Islanders, the Islanders only have three back-to-backs left. So Columbus having six back-to-backs left. doesn't mean you can't win those games, but obviously it's a lot, they're a lot trickier. Um, in terms of adding a defenseman, there's quite, we've talked about it before earlier in the show, if you're looking for a forward like the Islanders are, there's, there's a number of options, both uh, from the uh, high-end shelf to the mid-level shelf and down below. But when it comes to defense, uh, Mark, it seems pretty. Slim. It seems like a much shorter list and a lot less quality. Mm. I mean, Ben Lovejoy was moved by the Devils this morning, and he was probably one of the better names that was available. Uh, you know, who do you who do you see Columbus targeting to, to help that blue line? That's a great question. I, I wrote about that a little bit today, and you make a great point. It, it's slim pickings if you're looking at pending UFA. Is there really? The crop is not nearly as talented as forwards. I mean, it's it's a very obvious statement, but when you take a look at some of the names, like you said, Lovejoy was moved earlier today. Patrick Nemeth in Colorado is somebody that you know could generate some interest. Adam McQuaid is somebody that will generate some interest. Um, boy, outside of that, though, I mean, you're, you're you're going into players with term, and then you start to see the price go up. Um, so. What, what what will they do? That's a great question. I mean, they're certainly they've shown that they're not afraid to pay the price. So if they want to get somebody with term to help out, especially considering that Ryan Murray is out indefinitely, and you have a third pair right now of Dean Kukan and Scott Harrington, 
I mean, that's fine for the regular season, but when you get into a playoff series like against the Capitals or the Penguins or anybody else, you've got to you've got to get an upgrade there. So, could I see them go after an Adam McQuaid to help you know, with the bottom? Sure, it's certainly not out of the realm of possibility. Um, a guy that's interesting to me would be a guy like Alec Martinez in Los Angeles. Yeah. He's got terms, yeah. though. Uh, would you be cheap, try and make though. a run there? What's that? They're gonna want. They're gonna want at least. They're gonna want. Uh, I mean, it's either gonna probably take a first round pick and a and a a, a good prospect and a great prospect, or re- yep. a really strong prospect and a second round pick. Yeah, that's just. I, and I'm just not sure if Columbus is willing right. to pay that kind of a price. But it goes to Slim Pickens, and when you have Slim Pickens, and you can set the market on a player like Martinez, and you know, demand top dollar. And, you know, let's keep in mind, too, that if someone blows Columbus away with a Panarin offer that they can't refuse, then, you know, Columbus will make that yeah. move. And then, obviously, they could turn around and try that's and make gonna... something happen that way. But I don't I, see that happening I don't think with gonna... a change. Right. I mean, Coco Leiden basically made it sound like, uh, from what I saw on social media, that basically he what – how did he say it? If someone blew us away – that with an offer yep. that helped us both today and the future. So basically right. like, okay, replace Panarin for us and someone who we're going to have term with and all that. I'm like, well, why would it, I mean, the whole point of someone getting Panarin is for the here and now, they're going to, you, you, you don't get, you don't get to have your cake and eat it too. I, I, it, okay. it, it just felt like if something completely like a, a winning lottery ticket fell in his lap, he wouldn't be afraid to cash it in, but we know that's <laughs> not going to happen. Right. Uh, that's exactly right. And and what I think that the Duchesne deal did a great job of was it set the market for Panarin. So we saw what Columbus gave up to get Duchesne. Now, if somebody wants Panarin, huh, uh, price has been set. And Columbus did a great job of establishing that. So it forces somebody to pony up if they really want the player. And the thing, and I wanted to ask you this real quick before we let you go about Alec Martinez. Um, there's one thing that he has that I don't think anybody else in that locker room has, except Pan- did Panarin win a Stanley Cup with Chicago? No, he did not. He, right? He did not. Yeah. The the one thing that we and we've talked about it and we've we've beat around the bush about it. Um, have won a first round playoff series, but Brodsky's never stopped. You know, enough, giving up three goals in every playoff game that he's played. Chris knows this, and I'm pretty sure I've probably talked to you about it too, Mark. I'm a big believer in having that kind of cup experience in your locker room. Um, Alec Martinez has scored some big goals on the biggest stage. He took he took the double overtime game winner against the Chicago Blackhawks to put them into the Stanley Cup Finals, and he's he scored. He's one of like six people to uh, maybe even not six, five or six people that have scored an overtime cup winning goal. Uh, most recently before him was the Patrick Rangers, Kane. Right? Against the Rangers, yes, sir. Um, God bless him. <laughs> so any, anyway, I'm a big believer that if you want to, if you want to take that next step, that somebody in the room has to have that experience, or as a collective group like those early Los Angeles Kings teams did, you need to collectively take that step together as a unit. And that being said. I think Alex Martinez might be worth a second and a very high-grade prospect 
to put that kind of, of leadership and experience into that locker room. And, and that, I think, would be a very big get for the Columbus Blue Jackets the rest of the way down. And I just want to get your thoughts on that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if, if, if they agree with that assessment, then, yeah, absolutely. It never hurts to not only improve your team, but to bring someone in that has the experience. Um, I think the one thing that I think we need to mention at this point, it w- and it, it's been reported, but I think that um, how important it is has been a little bit underreported, was the hiring of, of the Hall of Famer, Martin St. Louis, as a consultant and yep. bringing him in to help out with the power play and obviously someone that's had and won a cup with players are able to just text him. They're able to bounce ideas off of him. And he occasionally comes into Columbus and, you know, works with them on different things and Torts completely stays out of the way. Whatever is said between St. Louis and the player stays um, between them. And I think that's a tremendous help because obviously a lot, you know, you know, Torts can sometimes get under the skin a little bit, but I think the job that he's done there is wonderful, but there's still a point where, you know, players, you know, especially if they're struggling, you know, now they have a resource that they can go to, and the overall reception of that's just been outstanding. Um, being able to, you know, have him in the fold to maybe give them some new or fresh ideas. You know, how can they go over this or how they overcome this hurdle, things like that. So, yeah, I mean, bringing in a Martinez would be a thing, but you know, bringing in St. Louis, I think, was just as important as well. And again, I. I'm going to say it again. Don't rule out Columbus making another deal or two. I really feel like that they're going to try and bring in players that are going to help, you know, kind of bring in the culture of winning to get away from, you know, what they've experienced in the past. And it's certainly, you're right. It's a very important thing. And you know, if they're able to swing that, they'll definitely look at any and all possibilities. Well, all right, Mark. Uh, it took a couple weeks for to get you into the schedule. We had a couple things come up and had to put you off, but it seems like it it ended up being the right time at the right place. And we appreciate you coming in, sir. Thanks, boys. Always a pleasure to join you both. Yep. Thanks, Everybody, Mark, make sure best. you follow you follow Mark on Twitter at Mark Scheig, S E H E I G. He posted an article this morning on the Duchesne trade and pretty much goes through a little bit more in depth than we were able to get to in the time we had this morning um, on, on his thoughts on the Duchesne trade and everything we were just kind of talking about. So um, Mark's always a good guest to have on. He's plugged into the Blue Jackets and also um, the, the Erie Otters as well. So go, go to thehockeywriters.com or to sh- at Mark Scheig, S-C-H-E-I-G on Twitter, and check out the article he dropped this morning for more in-depth reporting on, on the last 24 hours in Columbus Blue Jackets family. Chris? Yeah, I mean, I think Martinez would be a great pickup. Here's the I problem. Agree. I agree. Here's the problem, though. But let's assume that they uh, don't miss the playoffs and and then win, get one of the ping pong balls, and they get in the top three, so it's not protected. They've already traded this year's one. They can't trade 2020's one away until the Duchesne thing gets decided. So the point being is it's not in play at this point between now and Monday. So basically, they can't trade a first-round pick. Kings are not going to say, okay, we'll take your 2021 first-round pick. I mean, they'll take it. So that means they're going to have to get creative, which means they're probably second-round pick or – 
let's say, a second and a third and a top prospect. And the question I would have, we already talked about them being really putting the chips to the middle middle of the table uh, in a very risky way. I mean, I mean, how much more are you going to deplete? I mean, I guess there's no, you know, there's a point where you say, hey, there's no going back at this point. But uh, I, I just wonder how much more are they willing to deplete uh, their high draft picks and and their system. Uh, having said that, I think Martinez would be a great pickup. He would help them not just for this year but next. He also has a very reasonable cap number. Uh, I think it's like at four million. So all those things yep. are good things. I don't think I don't think the Kings are going. Uh, Rob Blake's going to make a mandate to trade him. I think he has a price in his head uh, that uh, in mind. And if someone meets that price between now and Monday, they'll move him. If not, he'll hold on to him, and then this time next year, he'll do very, do very well from uh, in terms of even as a rental trading Martinez. So he's not going to sell him short. Um, uh, I'm sure, like I said, and, and if anything, uh, with a very depleted uh, defenseman list, uh, you know, I could see someone meeting Rob Blake's price between now and Monday and Rob Blake uh, cashing that ticket in. Yeah, and then and, and before we get to the OT, I wanted to ask you a little bit about the Kings because uh, since we're on the subject and we talked about them earlier in the week, so far they've gotten basically the big pieces are a first, a third, and a fourth uh, for Tanner Pearson, Carl Hagelin, and Nate Thompson. They um, gave up a fifth going back the other way, and I believe that was the yeah, Nate Thompson deal. Um, I didn't like that so deal. It kind of, kind of under the radar, but uh, they pick up a fourth and lose a fifth and a player. Um, kind of Tanner Pearson turned into Carl Hagelin, turned into uh, what, third in the pieces, right? Yeah, the third. Yeah. Um, it it seems as if Blake might be getting lowballed a little bit in some of these deals. Um, real quick. What what is it's kind of the same question you did with the uh the Rangers. What do you think of what the Kings are doing and is it still on the table based on what they do with maybe Carter or the Alec Martinez, what they get in the return? How's that rebuild going? Well, I think they did very well in the Muslim trade. I mean look, Hagelin's a pending UFA. He's a complimentary piece. He's a guy who's on two cup teams. You know, so I think they got, a th- what do they get, a third and a sixth or something like that? So, yes. I mean, that's kind of a going rate. And he, it's not like he's having a great year, statistically. No. But, no. <laughs> I mean, that's fine. And, and look, one thing I would say to everybody, especially like, well, very much so in hockey, I know that second and third round picks are not as sexy as first round picks. And we always focus on the first round. And we that's all your meat and potatoes. Right. But, you know, those second and third round picks are valuable. Even the yes, fourth sir. round. But those second and third round picks are valuable. And there's a lot of good players in those rounds. So, I mean, it's not going to get reported well. And usually what happens is someone gets picked, and then it's a year or two later in camp, and you're like, oh, where did they get this guy from? Oh, he was a third round pick two years ago. Right. I, I, you know, that, that's a good asset that they got. I know Nate Thompson's a complimentary player, but to trade, to go from a five to a four, which there is a difference between the fifth round and the fourth round. I mean, other than the obvious. 
there is a difference. But I, I just would have thought they would have been able to get a fourth round for Nate Thompson on his own, but whatever. Throw that aside. Um, I think they're doing fine. I think, like I said, if the right deal, if the right value, if someone ponies up, you know, without being ridiculous, someone hits hits that mark of the offer for Martinez, Blake will, I, I believe Blake will move him. That's what he did with Muzzin. But, you know, yep. time will tell if someone does that. Given all the Carter stuff, he's been injured and he doesn't want to go and he's threatened retirement. We don't know that whole set of right. encyclopedias. It seems hard to believe for me to believe that that's all going to come together over the next 48 hours and when we haven't even heard anything about that. I'm not sure what, you know, I've read some crazy, well, I don't want to say crazy, but some out there, Jonathan Quick rumors, conspiracies. I don't see that happening now. Uh, maybe, you know, maybe in the off season when they get another look at it. Um, you know, to me, if they're going to make a move between now and Monday afternoon, the guy I would focus on is, is Martinez. I, agree. I, I think they've I done agree. a, I think they've done a good job. I, I think they have. All right. Well, let's go to the overtime segment, Chris. You wanted to, uh, take a look at the, the jumbled mess. Like the, like you said, Minnesota is kind of in that wild card spot at the bottom of the Western Conference by default. So we wanted to go through and look at which team in that jumbled mess is actually going to secure those those wild card spots. I'll, I'll let you take the. I'll let you pick the first one. Let's go. Let's go one one two two. Okay. Well, the original premise was just focusing on the second wild card, but to be fair, to make that assumption for Dallas is giving them way too much benefit of the doubt. But having said that, in terms they did, of they did what just did Lovejoy, right? That's right. That's, that's just, where Ben Lovejoy went to was Dallas. <laughs> that's right. So, um, look, look, I think Dallas, I know Ben Bishop's a little banged up, although I think he backed up the other night. <clears throat> um, you know, to me, if, if Dallas cannot secure one of these spots with, you know, with, you know, uh, Bishop and, and uh, uh, the, the, the Boston goalie Kibanen, and you, with their big guys and some of their talented young guys. Look, I don't think Dallas is going to do anything when they make the playoffs. I think they're going to play one of those top teams, and they're going to lose in the and they're going to lose in the first round in five games. And Dallas is going to have to say, "Where are we at?" But to me, if they can't beat out the cast of characters around them. Shame on them. So I'm going to say that they're going to get one of the playoffs uh, wild card spot. Yep, that was going to be that was going to be mine too. I think I think Dallas holds. I don't, and and it's more a, a statement on the rest of the teams chasing than it is like yep. faith that Dallas is going on a big run right now. Being that number one wild card seed, um, they're either going to play Winnipeg or Nashville. I think that's a pretty easy series for Winnipeg or Nashville, really, unless Ben Bishop gets super hot, which we've seen him do. Um, but, yeah, I, I agree that uh, that Dallas should be able to – and, again, we're talking about a team that's played 60 points and has six, – or 60 games and has 65 points. So – and this, what do you think it's going to take to get into the second spot before we pick our team oh. for that second? Is, is a 92-point team – going to make that wild card? Uh, I would say right now, if I would say if I was a betting man, if you got to 90, you'd have yeah. an excellent chance to be that. Right. And that's like, I mean, all these teams are basically, they're averaging a little bit better than one point per game. 
I mean, some of them, some of them not. I mean, Chicago's yeah. right there in the mix, and they have 61 <laughs> points in 62 games. Yep. So, uh, yeah. my second wild card, and I'm going to go a little off the board, and this is a team that you've said for the last couple of years in the show, don't tell me, show me. And this is their time to show you. Uh-oh. And I think they're going to do just enough. Now, this is there's two critical moments for these Arizona Coyotes. Uh-oh. They had a bad losing streak. I think it was like six in a row. But since then, I believe they've gone five and two. Had a nice win the other night uh, in Vancouver, I believe. They are home now for one, two, three, four, five, six, seven games. Four, five, six. And that is where they need to make hay. These next seven games, four, four of them they in need the to division. put up four in within the division, which is a good thing. Detroit in that mix. You know, they got some non-playoff teams here. Florida, uh, Detroit as well. Uh, they still have a, a couple of games left with uh, uh, Chicago and Colorado, by the way. Um, so I'm going to say Arizona and Rick Tockett are going to be the team. Because Minnesota, I'm not, like I said, I think they're open for business. I'm not saying they're going to sell pieces, although if they get an offer, if they get a first-round pick offer for Eric Stahl, I think they're going to take it. Um, So it will be curious to me what they do. They're kind of a wild card. But even if they stay intact, clearly they're a 500 team. Uh, The other critical part for for Arizona is in – the middle to late March, they go on a four-game road trip out east, Tampa, Florida, New Jersey, and the Islanders. So that will be another two blocks of games or sets of games to circle. I'm going to go off the board here because I'm not, you know, there's, I mean, again, it's it's the, it's the the team with the, you know, you're, you're not really sifting through, uh, I mean, you know, Colorado and Chicago and Vancouver and then, I mean, I mean, dare we even say Anaheim and Edmonton? And, I mean, I'll just put LA aside for a second. But, uh, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna go that the young kids are gonna do just enough, and Rick Tock is gonna help them to get that second wild card spot and have this franchise take a take a step forward. No, <laughs> <laughs> not gonna happen. Uh, the second wild card team in the Western Conference is going to the second hottest team in the Western Conference, and that Blackhawks nation is your Chicago Blackhawks. They're ten and three. We're using the last thirteen games for the Golden Knights and the and the Arizona Coyotes. The Chicago Blackhawks have won ten of their last thirteen. They are three points out, but they're charging like a like a bull up the up the slope, as it were. Um, that Jonathan Tays is on pace to have his career year in goals, assists, and points. Patrick Kane has a 20-game point streak going. Alec DeBrincat is breaking out in his second year. Second round 30, pick. Thirty second round pick, thirty plus goals, and Corey Crawford. Hopefully, he come, he's you know he's practicing. He's he's you know due to be coming back. And it's always questionable whether what, what what happens when you've missed that much time with a with an injury. But I'm going to go to last year's Golden Knights on this. 
Fleury missed a month and a half of the season with a concussion, and he came back fresh, rested, healthy, and was a big reason why the Golden Knights were able to charge down the stretch and into the Stanley Cup final. And depending on, you know, Corey Crawford and and health-wise when he comes back, he's going to be the freshest goalie in the playoffs and down the stretch. Um, I I just think that they've, they've, you know, they made the coaching change and it took a while to get everybody on board. I think everybody's on board. I think everybody's pulling the rope the same direction. And of all the teams that are in that jumbled mess, they have the most pedigree and experience in that locker room that's going to carry them through into that second wild card spot. And I'll make another prediction too. If they're the second wild card uh, spot and the way it sits right now, they play Calgary. Chicago beats Calgary in the first round. How about that? I could, you know, I want to agree with you. Uh, I think they would scare them. I don't think they would scare Nashville or Winnipeg, but I think they could. I think if I was Calgary, I would not be thrilled with that. Correct. Uh, especially with their goaltending. I just don't know mm-hmm. if they're strong enough on the blue line and where they're going to be in goal at that point. So it's kind of a wait and see, but I can understand why your premise of, of that. I, 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 I think Calgary you know, with a lot on the line and, on the, you know, to to move forward with their season. Uh, and that's not who you want to see uh, nope. in the first round, to say, to, to say the least. So, uh, Especially if yeah, no, I, 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 carries that momentum. Right, so you're, going with, you're going with the old guard, and, and I'm going to go with the new guard. So, hopefully, let's see let's see uh, what happens uh, what happens yeah. here. So, next next week, we're going to have another good friend of the show, Dan Harrigan, Tampa Bay Lightning insider, join us. But he's going to join us to break down the NHL trade deadline, basically from the Duchesne trade yesterday and what everything's going to happen between now and, and Monday, we're going to, you know, get his opinion of, you know, what buyers did well, who gave up too much, who, what sellers didn't get enough back, who put themselves in, in great position for a playoff run, yada, 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 all that good stuff. So he'll be joining us and, and obviously we'll, I'll, uh, I'll give, uh, we'll give our thoughts on that. What's that? I'll give you a preview on one of your questions right there. Everybody yeah. not named Tampa Bay Lightning is paying too much. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I, I read that Ottawa wants uh, – they want two first-round picks for Stone. Oh, we said this before, yeah. and two prospects. That's yeah. a lot. That's a lot for a rental. I don't know if they're going to get that. Basically, everybody's making moves to try and catch Tampa at this point, and it's not going to happen. Right now, I think Tampa's clearly – you know, breaking news, the best team in the National Hockey League. And I don't think there's a a player or group of players that anybody can acquire right now that's going to put them into the Tampa Bay Lightning category. We've seen anything can happen in the playoffs, health and injury and all that good stuff. Anybody who overpays to try and get a piece is, is going to be an overpayment because especially in that Eastern Conference, it's be hard to be. It's hard to. It, it, you know, they're a big favorite. They're they're a, they're a considerable favorite over any team. Um, it's hard for me. I mean, I, there are certain teams I think that could put a scare into Tampa. Absolutely, but boy, to beat them four times out of seven—that's that's a that that's is that is a big that's a big undertaking. That is a big. I mean, I, I, you know. 
hot goalie and all that, you know, things can happen. Mm-hmm. I Tampa know. maybe puts too much pressure on them. So, I mean, it's not impossible. I don't think yeah, either not... one of us is saying that, but it's, boy, oh, boy, that, that would be, I don't know if shocking is the right word, but it would be at bare minimum a very big surprise if Tampa doesn't get to the Stanley Cup final. Uh, that's what I'm saying. And, and, and unless, unless the injury bug, uh, the injury devil really uh, gets them. You know, if you lose a headman and a Kucherov during the playoffs, that's one thing. But something like that aside, if they're relatively currently constituted, um, it's, it's tough. It would be a it would be a big surprise. Well, all right, that's going to do it for this week. Everybody go go on Twitter and check out Mark Scheig with his Columbus Blue Jacket. He just posted the article this morning about the Duchesne trade. Um, good stuff. Go check it out at Mark Scheig, S-C-H-E-I-G, or go to thehockeywriters.com. Uh, go to Russ Cohen's Sportsology page on SoundCloud and check out our show or any podcatcher, Apple Podcast, iTunes, or any podcast catcher that you use, you'll be able to find us on. It's a good show. We appreciate Mark coming on, Chris. For Chris on Mark, we're gone.